Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to jump right in. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got our awesome volunteers. Show some love and some honor for our volunteers, our red shirts. Thank you, guys. That Bible's for you. If you want to follow along, we'd love you to, to, to do that, or you can follow along on the screen. We're just going to look at one passage of Scripture today as we continue our series called Turn the Key. Uh, we have been looking at different keys that the Scripture and the teachings of Jesus has shown us that actually grant us access into some of the things that Jesus has given us as he's purchased them for us by his blood and given us these gifts. And we've come to realize that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. And it's similar in the kingdom of God that God has given us so much, but when it comes to how we live our lives and accessing what he has given us, that's some things we need to learn how to do. And the destiny God has for his children is to flourish and to be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply. That's, that's the call on us. And we've been looking at, okay, well, how do we access the things that make us fruitful? And that's been the purpose of this series. And so we've been looking week by week at different keys. And of all of the keys, none of them, I would say, are elective or optional. I, I believe that God intended us to access everything that he, he died so that we could. I don't think he wanted us to leave anything on the table. But of all the keys, I would say that today's key is probably the most crucial for our well-being. It's probably the most crucial that we get a hold of this and turn this one open more than any others. The other ones will help augment your life and bring life where there wasn't life and will help build the body and accomplish the mission. We're going to see those things as the weeks go on. But with this particular key, if we don't learn how to turn this one continually... I believe you'll actually be on the outside looking into the kingdom of God. This one is absolutely critical for our well-being that we learn how to turn this key. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. Let me start with a question, though. I'll ask a question. Can anything stop the power of the amazing grace of Jesus? Can anything stop the grace of God? I've been serving Jesus for almost 30 years now. I've seen how powerful his grace is in my own life. I've seen him change me year over year. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. But I'll tell you what, the grace of Jesus is unbelievably powerful in changing things about a person that you thought were unchangeable. I've seen him do it in my own life. I've seen him take me and transform me more and more into his image. When the Bible says he takes you from glory to glory and strength to strength, he really does. He really transforms you day by day into his image. And although I have not arrived, I am not the same person I was last year. And I'm not the same person I was five years ago or 10 years ago. His grace changes us. Can I get an amen? It really does. And I've seen it. I've seen it. I get a front row seat because I serve in the ministry. I've been here for 12 years. I've, I've journeyed with some of you for that whole time. And I've been there and I've seen the grace of Jesus do unimaginable, incomprehensible things. I've seen him carry some of you through unbelievable tragedy and loss. And his grace was there to hold you in a time where you could not have held yourself up. I've seen, God, I've seen the grace of God reach people who were hopelessly bound up in addictions. I see it all the time with CR especially now as our recovery ministry is so vibrant. I'm seeing people all the time encounter the truth of Jesus and find the power for freedom that Tony Robbins and self-help and all that stuff, all the stuff they tried their whole lives couldn't touch it. And then they find Jesus and chains start breaking. I've seen the power of Jesus do incredible things. So if you ask me if if I'm, if I'm confident in the power of the grace of God in a person's life, I am unbelievably confident in the power of the grace of God in a person's life. But the question I asked wasn't, is, is the grace of God powerful? The question I asked is, can anything stop the grace of God in a person's life? And the answer is yes. Yes, there is a key that if we don't learn how to turn it actually locks up the flow of the grace of God in your life. I mean the mercy of God. I mean the saving power of God in your life. It's not that his power is limited. It's not that it can be earned or something that you have to obtain, but it is something that you have to apply, and it is something that you have to open yourself up to. And if we don't learn how to open this key and turn this key, we are actually stopping up the flow of the grace of God. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about the key of forgiveness. The key of forgiveness. If we don't learn how to turn this key and be people who live in the flow of constant forgiveness, we actually begin to lock up the flow of God's grace and mercy in our own lives. 
If you have your Bible, go to Matthew 18. Jesus teaches an incredible, incredible parable that we're just going to look at today and gain some understanding about the importance of this key. But in Matthew 18, Jesus had been teaching on everything. Like, like at this point in his ministry, as Matthew records it, if you're familiar with the Bible, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. I don't know at what point we can stop referring to something as new. Um, it's a couple thousand years old, but it's, it's the less Old Testament. And uh, it's Matthew, and it's the gospel about, about Jesus. And so this guy, Matthew, was a firsthand eyewitness, and he writes the things about Jesus. And Jesus had been teaching a variety of things, things, philosophical things, theological things, uh, talking about sociological things. Like, just Jesus speaks into every aspect of life, and he'd been just coming through this kind of discourse about just how to resolve conflict. When, when a person offends you, when a person wrongs you, what do you do? Or when a person is acting wrong, how do you resolve said conflict? And Jesus actually gives us, if you read back in Matthew 18, some handles on how to resolve conflict. He knew that that was going to be a part of life, and so he taught us how to do that. But this message isn't about resolving conflict. This message is about what do you do when someone has offended you. And Jesus goes on, and there's this part that happens, and Peter comes to Jesus, because Peter loves to talk, and Peter loves to hear his own voice, and he was trying to set himself up to be seen as smart. And so on the heels of this teaching about resolving conflict, Peter comes with a question. Let's look at it and see what Jesus says. It says in verse 21, then Peter came up to him, up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? How many times do I need to forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven Therefore, Jesus starts to teach a parable. If you don't know what a parable is, Jesus tells these little side stories to help illustrate what we need to understand. The word parable actually comes from the word to lay alongside. And it's a second track that we can look at what we don't understand from this thing we do understand. That's what a parable is. And so he's now teaching us to look at this topic of forgiveness through what he's about to say. He says this. this it's, it's like this, Peter. It's like the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one, of, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that's, that's a form of currency in Jesus' day. I'll explain later, but 10,000 talents is a lot. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. He's begging him. And out of pity for him, Jesus says, the master looked on him and, and released him and forgave him all the debt. If you're, not, if you're not familiar with what that's a picture of, that's a picture of the gospel. We'll talk about that a little later. But the master looks upon him in all of his debt and dysfunction, has pity on him and shows him mercy and forgives the debt. And then Jesus tells us this, but when that same servant left the master's house or the master, he went out and he found one of his fellow servants, another servant, and he, who owed him a hundred denarii. That's also a form of currency. I'll explain later, but that's a lot less, like a lot less. And seizing him, he began to choke him. He took him by the neck and said, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Sound familiar? Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master, in anger, Jesus says, the father, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And Jesus drops the mic and says, have a nice day. Can you, like, it feels tense in here right now. Can you imagine being on that hillside? A couple thousand people sitting there listening to Jesus. And at this point, they just think he's like, nice guy Jesus, you know, with the flowing blonde hair and his perfectly manicured nails and, and his nice white dress that he wears. And the kids just love to bounce on his knee and he's just having fun and stuff. 
And then all of a sudden they ask him about forgiveness. He says, yeah, if you don't forgive, I won't, we won't forgive you. See ya. Wait, what? Hold, hold on. Can we go back and can we talk about that again? And, and Jesus just gives this blanket statement about the importance of us as believers, us as servants of the master, getting a hold of how crucial it is that we live this life of forgiveness. And Peter comes to him and asks him a question and says, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus basically says this. Peter comes and says, should I forgive him seven times? And Peter's trying to impress Jesus at this point. If, if you're familiar with the context, the, the Jews actually believe that if someone offends you once by order of religion, you need to forgive. If they offend you a second time, you ha still have to forgive them. No, no option. If you forgive them a third time, or if they offend you a third time, you have to forgive the third time. However, if they offend you the fourth time, it's fair game. Do what you want. And so Peter comes up and he tries to come up with this, uh, this kind of thing that's going to impress Jesus. And he says, I'm going to like double it and add one. Should I forgive seven times? And Jesus essentially says, if you're still counting, you're doing it wrong. If you're keeping score, you're doing it wrong. You don't understand. Forgiveness is not about an amount. Forgiveness is not about how many times you have to do it. For forgiveness isn't just about keeping score. Forgiveness is not an option, Jesus says. Forgiveness is not something you can choose to do or not to do. You have to let it go, Jesus says. You have to let it go. You, you cannot afford to live your life holding on to offense. You have to let it go. And for a couple of minutes, I want to talk to you from the title, You Have to Let It Go. You have to let it go. Hey, turn to the person next to you just to make sure they're paying attention and they're awake and tell them, you have to let it go. Go ahead, for real. Oh my goodness. Do it again. You have to let it go. All right, now turn to this person on the other side and say, neighbor, for real, do it. Say, neighbor, you're my second choice. Just made an awkward ride home for some husbands. But you have to let it go. Man, you have to let it go. We don't have an option. If we don't learn how to turn the key, we are actually locking ourselves out. I have a few things I want to observe from the story of Jesus here. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, you have to let it go and you have to learn to live a life of continual forgiveness, first and foremost, because when you hold on to offense, what's an offense? An offense is when someone wrongs you or something wrongs you or life even wrongs you. It's this sense that you have been wronged and there is a debt to pay in order to make it square. And if, if, you're, if you're taking notes, write this down. We have to learn how to let our offenses go, first and foremost, because when we hold on to offense, you're only hurting yourself. When you hold on to offense, you're only hurting yourself. Jesus uses this amazing analogy. Jesus is brilliant. If it hasn't occurred to you that Jesus is smart, not just loving, you need to look again. He is brilliant. And he uses this analogy, and he talks about how this servant comes into the master. He owes an inexhaustible debt, like an unimaginable debt. And the master, out of mercy, forgives him. And then what happens? The same servant goes out and he finds someone who owed him. Now, Jesus didn't say he was not owed. Jesus didn't say it wasn't a real debt. He just said that he went out and what did he do? He grabbed a hold of the guy's neck, started choking him, and then what? He threw him in prison. And I think that's a great picture of what we do with our offense, isn't it? It's not that you probably literally do that, although some of you would if you could. And I know when we're talking about offense, there's a wide variety in a room this size and amount, amount of people watching online. There's a wide variety of things that have been done to you, offenses that have been committed. I know for a fact that some of you have dealt with massive amounts of abuse in your life. Like these are major things. These are real offenses that you have to deal with. But Jesus doesn't qualify like what level of offense. He's saying all offense, here's what you need to understand about it. When you hold on to offense, when you hold on to the offense of your abuser, when you hold on to the offense of your cheating husband, or when you hold on to the offense of any type of offense whatsoever, even the small ones, like the day-to-day -day ones of people just rubbing you the wrong way or just doing that, when you become a person who holds on to offense, you think in your action towards them, you're actually punishing them, but in fact, you're punishing yourself. You are simply punishing yourself. You don't even have to be a believer to understand this fact. 
that when you hold on to a fence, like this is a pro tip, if you're not even a Christian yet, I hope you become one, but if someone just drug you out today, you need to understand this. When you hold on to a fence, you are only locking yourself out. You are only throwing yourself in prison. The, the Bible says Jesus tells us that this, this servant threw the person who owed him in prison. And that's a picture of what we want to do when someone offends us, isn't it? We kind of hold them out, don't we? We put them away at arm's length and we, we put them in a little box and say, they're there. Is that not what we do? But ironically, it ended up being the, the servant who was in prison, wasn't it, in the end? It was him who was in prison by the end of it. And this is what happens in our lives when we don't properly deal with offense. We actually punish and imprison ourselves. Now, I'll lead the way here and I'll tell you a little story. I saw this play out in my own life not too long ago. My wife and I decided we were gonna, here we go. I'm gonna tell a real marriage story. You're gonna see like under the hood of Pastor Brent's life right now. And it's not pretty sometimes. So my wife and I decided, hey, it's, it's summer vacation. We're getting ready for summer vacation. We packed the bags. We're gonna leave and go take the kids to PEI for a few days. And it's the night before. I don't even remember. I don't even remember what she did. I just remember being mad. Isn't that amazing? Like you're losing respect for me right now. Don't judge me. <laughs> I don't even remember what she did. But something rubbed me the wrong way. It ticked me off. And I thought I was offended by her actions. And so what do you do when you're mad at your spouse? You lock them out, don't you? And I thought, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I am going to cook up some cranky stew right now. And, just... and I, I went to bed, you know, rolled over like back to her, you know. You did that move? Anybody do that move? Don't even judge me. I'm looking at me like, you need marriage, you need marriage counseling, man. No, and I like went to bed back to her and I said, I'm going to go to bed and then I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to turn that crock pot up to seven and I'm going to stir it up again. And sure enough, next morning I get up and I'm, I'm, I'm still feeling cranky and, and like just ticked off that she, well, I don't even remember what she said. This is so bad that I don't even remember what she said. And I got up and again, I kind of stirred up the stew in my, in my spirit, you know. And we, all day, all day, I kid you not, like I, I like just copped an attitude with her, kept her out here. And it didn't occur to me at any point that she wasn't noticing. <laughs> and so we pack the car and we drive all the way to PEI. We stop for lunch in Sussex because when you have a three-year-old, you got to do it in 30-minute windows. And we stopped for lunch in Sussex and uh, had lunch. And all through lunch, I'm still busting an attitude to her, trying my best to, like, not be mean to the kids. But it's really hard for a guy to do more than one thing at once, you know. So, and, and so I, I, all through the day, we, 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 get, we get to PEI and get our little cottage and we get settled in. Kids are in bed and I'm still, I'm like, here's my moment. I'm going to turn it up. I'm going to just... And I'm sitting on the couch, and she sits down beside me with a smile on her face. She goes, ah, it feels good to be here, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it feels good. <laughs> she, goes, she goes, is there something wrong? I go, funny you ask. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't remember what it was. And, uh, and she just looks at me, and she goes, well, the kids and I are having a great time, and you're welcome to join us. And she goes, and, she go, and she's like, night. And she goes, so, and ironically, ironically from that experience, this is a great picture of what offense does, even when it's a little one, like you think you're punishing them and holding them out, but you're really locking yourself in. It was me who missed out on the day. She had a great time and so do the kids apparently. And I'm stuck in my own prison of offense, right? I'm stuck there just behind the walls that I've put up between me and her. That's what offense does. When you start putting up walls and imprisoning your offender, ironically, it's you that's in prison. And you know what I've found out a lot of the time in my life? Like the world keeps moving and you're locked up and they aren't even aware of the fact that you're mad half the time. And so here you are rehearsing what happened over and over and you're living in it and they're long gone. I was on the other end of this like a year ago. I, I reconciled with someone who had a grievance with me and, and they were very much like just kind of getting caught up. And I was amazed at how vivid and detailed the, the life of, of, of a decade ago was in their mind. Like they remembered details and sights and sounds and words and, and things that went on that I'd, I'd completely forgotten about. Why? Because my life had moved on and they were stuck there. 
That's what happens with offense. You, you are locking yourself out and locking yourself up. And Jesus said, look, it was, the, it was the unmerciful servant who ended up in the prison. It was him. And so for some of you, like you think you're punishing them, but do yourself a favor. You have to let it go. You have to let yourself go. It's like the, the Lewis Smeads uh, quote where it says, you know, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and discovering the prisoner was you. That's what it means to forgive and to drop the offense. You have to let it go. You can't hold that out there because you're only locking yourself up. And get this, Jesus goes a step further. Now, this is for believers. Jesus tells us that this, this servant went out and choked out. He, he kind of cut the air off. It's, what, it's such a vivid picture. He just takes him by the neck and like, right? He, and he, he's cutting the air off from the one who owes him. And then Jesus says, by the end of it, though, it wasn't the, 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 that person that got cut off. It was the unmerciful, unmerciful servant who was cut off, wasn't it? He at one point had this amazing mercy extended to him. And then all of a sudden, because of his action, the master says, you know what? I'm cutting you off. I'm punishing you and kicking you out. It's you who are going to be on the outside looking in. It's you who aren't going to have any air to breathe, not him. And that's what happens from a, from a, a Christian standpoint. You've got to understand this. And there's probably no more of a heavy teaching of Jesus than this one. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. And if you don't know this, this is what you're doing when you hold on to offense. Look at what Jesus says in verse 34. Again, he says, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. Well, if you know what 100 talents are, he'll never be able to pay that debt. He's going to be in jail forever. And he says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You will be cut off from the mercy of God. It's not that the mercy of God can't accomplish the impossible. It's that you are cutting yourself off. You are locking yourself out from receiving what God wants to give you. I know it's hard to hear Jesus talk like that, isn't it? Like you want, you want buddy Jesus again. But this is buddy Jesus. This is a Jesus who loves you enough to tell you the truth. If you hold on to offense, you are actually choking yourself out of the flow of God's mercy and grace in your life. Look at how Jesus says it in Matthew 6. Anybody familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Do you know what you're praying when you pray the Lord's Prayer? Look at how Jesus teaches us to pray. He says in verse 12, and this is in the middle of the prayer, and forgive us our debts. Can you say this out loud? Forgive us our debts as we, stop. That's a condition. Not, and forgive us our debts. Jesus knows, don't even ask the master to forgive debts that you're not willing to forgive. Don't even ask it. Forgive us our debts as we for, have also forgiven our debtors. And he says, lead us not into temptation or trial, but deliver us from evil. So there's no condition on that. It's just a plain and simple ask. But then look what he says. He says, for if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's, that's good news. The, the, the difficult news is this. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is why this is such a crucial key that we as believers learn to turn is because if you are holding on to offense, you are holding on to the very flow of the air of God's grace into your life. You are choking yourself out. James, the brother of Jesus, said this, James 2.13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. These are heavy words. Heavy words. Matthew 7, do not judge or you, will, you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's some heavy stuff. And I know forgiveness isn't easy. And I know the, the debt, some of you, just I, even last night after speaking this message to the Saturday night crowd, I was just so reminded by how heavy and brutal some of the grievances of some of the people in your family and my spiritual family have had to deal with. These are major things. But Jesus is saying in the light of eternity, in the light of eternity, it doesn't matter what has been done to you or who did what or how they did it or how bad you have been offended, you can't afford to hang on to offense. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, says this. He says, forgiveness is like the air in your lungs. There's only room enough for you to inhale the next lungful. 
when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more for yourself, and you will suffocate very quickly. Every time you accuse someone else, you accuse yourself. You see, some of you need to learn to let it go. Some of you aren't growing in your faith. Some of you aren't growing in your experience with the grace of God. Some of you aren't seeing that fruitfulness. And the problem is not that you're not a believer. The problem isn't that you're not learning how to do church things. It's not that you don't know how to worship. Some of you might know how to prophesy. And some of you might know just real advanced things in the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something. If you hold on to offense... There ain't no grace flowing into your life. You're pulling out your cup from the flow of the grace of God. You are, taking, you are removing yourself from the flow of the grace of God. You have to let it go. It's not optional. You need to do yourself the favor because you're only hurting yourself. You know, as a, as a pastor, the people that I worry about, like when I'm speaking about like eternal salvation kind of stuff, the people I worry about might not be the, the people you think. Like I, like I don't worry about the person who may be struggling with addiction like you might think I would. Or, or I'm not worried about the person who's got some issues that they're working out and trying to wrestle down. Those people don't worry me. Because I know the grace of God has a chance at getting access to them. And if, it just, just a dabble, do you? Like if you can just get a little bit of Jesus, it'll do a whole lot. Amen. But here's the thing. The people I worry about are the people who choose to live a life offended. Choose to remain in their offense because what you are doing is you're cutting off access from the amazing grace of God in your life. And without that grace, you are sunk. You're done. It's only by grace that you can be saved. Like I, I remember having a conversation with a couple one time who decided to leave the church because another couple came that offended them. And this other couple wanted to reconcile with this, this one couple that was leaving and said, you know what? We don't want to reconcile. And I said, your blood's on your own head. If they want to reconcile and you won't forgive them, you are choosing to walk out of the covering of the grace of God, period. Read the Bible. If you hold on to offense, you are cutting yourself off. You have to let it go. I don't know. For some of you, you got some major things. This is big stuff that we're talking about here. But do yourself a favor. You've got, if you're not catching this, catch this. Forgiving someone is not about what they deserve. It's about you. It's about what you want. You want life, don't you? You want eternal life and life to the full. If you want that, let them go. And trust God with his justice. If you're writing notes, take this down, number two. Try to get done on time. This is a big topic we need to get, though. You have to let go, ultimately, because you've been given so much. And you can't cling to a fence and cling to the cross at the same time. You can't hold on to the, to the offense and hold on to the offender and hold on to the amazing grace of Jesus at the same time. Embracing grace and embracing Christ is a full body, full time job. And you don't have time to hold on to offense. Jesus tells us this, this guy comes in. He gets called into the master's place. And what happens? The master says, you owe me 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, if you're not familiar with the language there, that was like um, in their day an unimaginable amount of money. It was like Dr. Evil, $100 billion, right? Like that's what, yeah. So if you watch that movie, you shouldn't watch that movie. Anyway, no. um, and Jesus is using like an astronomical amount to try to help him under, help the, the listeners understand when it comes to the master and what he's forgiven us, it's astronomical. You couldn't pay it off in a thousand lifetimes. That's what a hundred talents was. But then he tells us that this other one owed, that, or the, the, the servant was owed, now he owed a hundred talents, but he was owed a hundred denarii, which is like five bucks. It's a very small amount of money. Just some, it would have been money that the, the listeners that day had in their pocket. It says he's owed a hundred denarii. And Jesus uses this contrast to help you understand what's really going on here. Now, there's something subtle that happens. It tells us that the, the master looked on the one who owed a hundred talents and says, you know what? We're square. You don't owe me anything. We're good. You're free. Go in peace. Now that's incredible. Can you imagine if someone gave you a hundred lifetimes worth of riches? 
how would you act? You'd be free, wouldn't you? You'd like run and skip and jump like, yes. Like, I don't even know how he amassed that much debt, but Jesus tells us this is the debt he had and he was forgiven that amount of debt. And then he goes out and what's he do? He immediately goes and seeks the one who offended him or who owes him and starts to collect. Now, why would he collect if he didn't know anything? Why would he be collecting if he believed that he didn't owe anything? Are you seeing the connection? He went to collect on his debt. Why? Because he still thought he had a debt to pay. He was still collecting for his deficit. You understand? When we live a life of offense as believers... Ultimately, what you are saying is this. Either I don't believe that the grace the master has given me in Christ Jesus was enough, or I don't believe I deserved it, or whatever reason, you have not understood the weight of your debt and then the beauty and the brilliance and the incredibleness of the gift of God that has been given to you in the grace of Jesus. See, the gospel of Jesus sets you free from having to hold on to offense. Why? Because when you've been given a thousand lifetimes worth of mercy and grace, it becomes very easy to give five bucks. If you went home today and you won Lotto Max, like $400 million or something, would you call your buddy that you spotted the other night a five piece? Hey, uh, you got that $5? If you did, there's something wrong with you. You don't understand money. You don't understand that, that your $400 million is going to be collecting more than that five bucks every minute. Like it's... You don't get it. This guy didn't get it. He didn't get the weight of his sin. And you know what? Those of us who struggle with forgiveness, part of the reason is you don't know how much you've been forgiven. You don't understand how much you've been forgiven. And what you're doing is you're measuring your amount of debt on a human plane. And you're forgetting that the debt that you owed and the debt that you have been given and paid for by the blood of Jesus is an eternal debt. It's a thousand lifetime debt. Some of you don't feel like you're that bad. Some of you don't feel like your sin is that bad or that grievous. But here's the reason why our debt is so astronomical before God. Have you ever thought of this? Like some of you might think, well, I, I just lied a few times. Or I, I just had a season where I was living that, that crazy lifestyle. But really, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. The reason why sin against God is so heinous and such a huge thing is because here's how you have to understand offense and understand a, grievous, a grievance. The weight of sin isn't about the offender. The weight of sin is about the one offended. What do I mean by that? We understand this to be true. Like, um, why do we think that child molestation is such a, a, a particularly heinous act? Which it is. The reason it is is because the one offended is innocent. That's why it's in our mind it goes so big so fast. It's like, they were innocent and they were unable to, hand, to, to know what was going on. And you took advantage of them. That's why they were pure. And you came in and you tarnished that purity. That's why it's so huge. And so when you, um, let's just do another illustration. So sin is measured by the value of the one sinned against. You understand? Are you tracking? Some of you are. Let me do this. Uh, if one of you came up to me right now and you slapped me in the face, said, I don't like your sermon. I'm offended. If, if you did that, I'd probably say, why'd you hit me, man? That didn't have to happen. And then at most, like, like Big Jared, my, my, my bodyguard, my guy, would probably come up here and take you out and put you on his shoulder. And then he'd find some of you guys who are just like a little bit saved to rough him up a little bit. And then... <laughs> but really, that'd be the worst that happened because you slapped me. I'm not that important. I'm not that big a deal. But if you went and you slapped Kim Jong-un, you'd be strapped to his next test missile, right? <laughs> why? Because the weight of sin has to do with the one sinned against. This is why you have such a debt with God. Because every time you sin against God, it's an eternal debt because God's an eternal God. It's extra grievous because God is 100% holy and pure. God is perfect in all of his ways. So any sin against God is an astronomical debt. So this guy didn't understand just how big his debt was. And so he could not understand how much he had been given. He didn't know what he had. And the reason some of us can't give is because we can't receive. You can't give what you don't have. See, some of you think like, you know, forgiveness, it's not... It's not that that person doesn't owe you. 
Like to, the power to forgive, get this, like think about this. It's not that the person who offended you doesn't owe you. It's that you don't need it. You tracking? Like if the grace of God exists in your life and you realize I have been forgiven of everything. My account is paid in full. I don't need anything ever from anyone because Christ has given me everything I need. If you believe that, then why are you collecting? It's not that they don't owe you. And Jesus never said that that guy didn't owe him. He just said, you don't get it. You're still collecting? You don't know what you've been given. It's not that they don't owe you. It's that I don't need it. Look, I don't need my husband to come back and apologize. I don't need my boss who fired me the wrong way to give me the job back. I don't need it because I've been given everything I need in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. The gospel disarms us from being offended. It gives us what we need to give others. In life, you will be either operating from a deficit or from the overflow, one of the two. And when you live a life with a deficit, you are quick to try to go and collect. Get what you deserve. Get what's yours. But when you live a life from the overflow, you've got lots to give over and over and over again. The gospel gives us the power to forgive. Look what C.S. Lewis said. He said, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's what it means to be a Christian. We have the power to forgive because we've been given the power to forgive. Do you understand? Here, here's a hard truth. Another one? Yes. <laughs> if you struggle to forgive, it's a sign that you have likely struggled to receive. Like there's a part in your heart that has not been able to rest in what you have been given. I don't know if, if this guy who went out to collect his $5 after he'd been forgiven 100 talents, I don't know if he just didn't understand. I don't know if he just couldn't believe that the, the master really meant that they were square. I don't know what it was, but he had not received what he had been forgiven. We as believers have to let it go because we can't, I don't have time to hold offense. My hands are full of mercy and grace and love and life. The gospel gives us the power to forgive. The cross disarms us. Look, at the cross, you can't be the victim. Jesus is the victim, right? At the cross, you can't be offended. You're the offender. At the cross, you can't be the judge. God is the judge. You can't cling to the cross and cling to offense at the same time. You have to let it go. One more thought and I'll, and I'll let you go. <laughs> if you're writing notes, write this down. You have to let it go again because forgiveness is a process, not a feeling. Forgiveness is a process, not a feeling. Look at look what Jesus said right in the first verse in his answer to Peter. Jesus said it in the beginning. Like, it's amazing. He's so smart. Look, Peter came to him and said, how, how many times should I forgive against my brother? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. I love that the times is in there. 70 times seven. Now, the number seven actually represents a process. Uh, the Hebrews believe, like Jews believe that numbers carried value. Like five is the number of grace. Three is the number of God. Six is the number of man. Twelve is the number of, uh, of governance. Like there's just numbers matter. Seven is the number of God's perfection. But not, not only that, it, it represents a process. And so when Peter comes to him and he says, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And, and, and Jesus says, no, if you're counting, you're doing it wrong. You just keep forgiving. Seven times seven, times 70, times seven, times seven, you forgive infinity times because you can't afford to be offended. You can't afford to close your fist. You can't afford to lock yourself out. You can't afford to choke yourself out. You have been given so much and if you're gonna keep receiving it, you gotta keep repeating the process. But here's the thing I've found in my life. Victory comes in the process. Like when you follow Jesus, I know, I know we come to church to hope that we get zapped. I prayed with a guy last night. He's got some major things going on. And I said, you know what I'd love more than anything? I'd love to just put my hand on your head and just the power of God just zap you and then everything's fine. But you know what I've found? That's the exception, not the rule. 
And the way God's power comes in my life has to do more with me just doing the reps, doing it over and over again. And as I do the reps and as I do it over and over again, I get up and I do it over and over again, I find God just increasing me in grace. And this is what happens with forgiveness. I would be setting you up for failure if today I had a big altar call and said, come forward. If anybody, if any of you have been, if this has happened or you have this offense or you're carrying this, come and, and let it go once and for all. Here's the problem with forgiveness. It's, it's never once and for all. The forgiveness of Jesus is once and for all. Our forgiveness is a daily event. Us extending forgiveness is a daily event. I, I, I've done this before, y'all. I've been to church a few times and I've gone to a few altar calls. And there have been times I have brought my offense to Jesus and said, okay, God, I forgive him. I feel good. And I felt good while I left church. I felt good for a couple days. And then I saw them. Right? It's in there. You still, you're still wounded. It's still there. And so here's where the victory lies. It's, it's when it comes and you feel your hand clenching and you're holding the rock and you're, you're reminded of the offense and you're counting the, what they owe you and you're collecting on it and you're tempted to go and act on it. It's in that moment it's, you say, I'll let it go. That's why the Bible tells us and reminds us there's new mercy every morning. You just forgive today. Like if you just let it go today, and choose today to not hold on to it. And maybe some of you have to let it go multiple times today. Maybe you're going home. Maybe like your ride home or your ride here was like my ride to PEI. <laughs> right? Like, okay, just, you have to let it go. You can't afford to operate in offense. Stand with me. We're going to pray for you. I don't know if it'll happen on the 490th time, like 70 times 7. I'd like to think at some point it'll click, you know. I have found in my life, the more times I choose to let it go and let the offense go, at some point, the urge to, to grab it again goes away. Has anybody ever felt that? Like, it's not generally a one-time event. It's like the more times you say, today, Lord, I am choosing because you have so forgiven me, because you have loved me so, because you have extended mercy to me when I owed you, I'm not going to collect on them because you didn't collect on me. Today, God, I'm going to remind myself of your gospel of grace that, that you, you left heaven for me and that you took on my sin and my shame and my debt and you paid every penny of it. And I'm going to remind myself right now that I have been so radically saved and radically loved and my life and my heart is full of grace, which means it's full of joy and full of the capacity to in this moment say, I don't hold that against you. It's a day-by-day -day thing. You proclaim the gospel of God's grace to you every single morning. You need it every morning. You need the gospel every day. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a once and for all thing. It's, it saves you over and over and over in new ways, in new mercies every morning. And you, just today, like here's all I wanted. I felt the Lord press this on my heart. He said, Brent, don't get them to come up and convince them that they left it there once and for all. The offering of Jesus was the once and for all thing. You live in the flow of that now. And so today, here's all I want you to do. As we pray, I just want you to let go of the offense today. I want you to give it to God today. And then tomorrow, at that moment when you feel it rising up again, you let it go tomorrow. And then the next day, you let it go the next day. And the next day, and then at the seventh time, maybe you don't feel the offense as much as you did. Maybe you thought you had it beat. And then maybe a year from now, it rises up again. And something they said or something they did reminds you of how that felt. And you feel like you're clinging back up again. And you let it go again. Just today. Tomorrow has enough troubles. Just today, let's let it go. Father, thank you today. Thank you that you have loved us with a radical love. Thank you, Lord, that on the cross we have been shown unending mercy. We have been given grace for all of our debt, all of our sin, a lifetime of debt and sin. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've given us. And today, Lord, we receive that grace in Jesus' name. Today, if you would say you have, just with every head bowed and eyes closed, if as I have been talking the offense has been stirring in you. Would you just hold your hand up above your head? We're gonna let it go together. Awesome. All right, today, Lord, you see these hands. And today, 
we access the grace. We unlock the key of forgiveness and we turn it open and we just, we let it go. And today we receive new mercy, new mercy. So for every grievance, and Lord, I know right now some of these hands, there are some major, major grievances, major offenses, Lord. But there is no wound too deep. There is no debt too large that your grace cannot pay and no wound that cannot heal. And so, Lord, I thank you today for the amazing grace of Jesus. I thank you that even right now it is rushing into hearts and minds. It is healing. I thank you today, Lord, that you have given us the capacity to let it go. Let us live free, we pray. Let us live free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Will we live in that, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen.